Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and open together, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We continue tonight. And, uh, and where we started this morning, by God's grace, with the Lord's help, perhaps we'll finish the chapter tonight. Uh, without much further, without too much introduction, let's just begin tonight by reading here in the passage of Scripture. So I invite you to stand with me tonight as we begin reading. We'll begin in verse 12. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 12. The Bible says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Father, we thank you tonight for your word, and Lord, again we ask that you would bless it, that you would prosper it as you send it forth. Lord, you've promised that it will not return void. And so, God, we pray tonight that with your leadership, that you'd guide us into your truth this evening. Lord God, that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things from your law. God, that as we look here in, in this chapter of your word, you'll give us the victory we need to live our lives for you. So, Lord, we pray that you'd remove any distraction, that you'd remove any prejudice, Lord, that you would help us to be honest with you. Lord, may we be yielded and surrendered to thee. Lord, may you lead us to victory in our own Christian lives, and may you bless this local church. Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, Father, our prayer is that today would be the day of their salvation. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Word of God says in verse number 12. Now, this morning, I encouraged you to, to take note of this statement. But the final statement in the verse, the Bible says here, He says, I will not be brought under the power of any. You, you realize that you and I can do whatever we want to do. How many of you have ever heard the term or used the term, it's a free country? You know, you come up to somebody and say, hey, hey, may I sit there? Well, it's a free country. You know, you can do whatever you want. Hey, isn't it great to live in America? Amen. Praise the Lord. We do live in a free country. But just because we live in a free country doesn't mean that we should do whatever we want to do. Unfortunately, however, we live in a society that has adopted that philosophy. Uh, we, we do whatever we want. Uh, because, we, because we can. And as a result, if you remember from this morning, we have actually placed ourselves under the power, under the authority of things that have no rightful place in our lives. Let me ask you a question. What controls your life? Uh, what is it that, that determines your actions? What is it that determines your emotions? What is it that spurs your reaction? When... When someone who has hurt you, when their name is mentioned, what's the, what's the first thing that happens? Do you wince? Do you, do you tighten up? Or do you tense up? Friends, we, we must understand that there are things that have no need to rule over us. Unfortunately, we acquiesce to our flesh. Remember the church in, in Corinth they were not dealing with so much doctrinal issues. They believed in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. 
They believe that salvation was by grace through faith. Uh, Paul even writes here and, and reaffirms their belief in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ and the pre-tribulational rapture of the church in chapter 15. We, we think of all of these things, and, and they, they, they didn't struggle with that so much as they struggled with the working of their own flesh. Their problem was that of carnality, was fleshly. And if we're not careful, we allow our flesh to rule over us. I want to read with you a couple passages that we referenced this morning. Won't you look with me back in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter number 6, just a couple pages back. Romans chapter 6, and in verse, uh, let's just begin in verse number, verse number 1. We'll read, we'll read a little bit more here in this chapter tonight than we did this morning. The Bible says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so, Here's the, the, this, this reality that you and I, we're no longer, we're, we're dead to sin. You and I, we no longer have to obey the world, the flesh, and the devil. We don't have to think those thoughts. We don't have to say those words. We don't have to act that way. We don't have to go to that place. You and I can have victory. We don't, we're not to allow sin, uh, the, the, the lust of our flesh, and the, the lust of our eyes, and our pride of, of life. We're not to allow these things to rule over us anymore. We're dead to those things. Remember, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We're dead to sin, now we're alive to God. We have a relationship with our Savior. And the Bible says, look down in verse, uh, verse number 15. He says then, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Again, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether to sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And so, who has rule over your life? It, it ought not be the sin of our past, or even the sin of our present. But God alone should be, in, be the one that, that exercises power over our lives. It is God who should be in control as we yield ourselves as His servants and obey His Word. I want you to look with me in, in the book of Ephesians. Look ahead in, in Ephesians chapter 5. We've referenced this passage again this morning, but, but notice what the Bible says in chapter 5 of Ephesians concerning this matter of being controlled. The Bible says in verse 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now again, God's Word is not condoning into, uh, intoxication. God is not condoning drunkenness. As a matter of fact, the Bible warns against the consumption of alcohol. Uh, he tells us that we are fools if we, uh, if, we consume, uh, if we consume alcohol. He says, who has sorrow, who has woe, who hath redness of eyes, who hath tensions without cause. Friends, understand that there's, it's not for kings to drink wine. It's not for God's people to consume alcohol. So God is not, is not condoning the use of alcohol, but he's making a comparison. He's, he's, he's painting a picture for us concerning this matter of control in our lives. He says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And just like a drunkard is, is overwhelmed and overcome and influenced and, and, and controlled by that intoxicating drink, the Christian should be controlled in like manner by the Holy Spirit of God. We should, we should yield ourselves to the Lord, not to the power of anything or anyone else, but to God alone. How do we do that? Well, the Bible gives us a little bit of instruction here. In verse 19, he says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So we, we see here that we are to be controlled by God alone. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 12 says, I will not be brought under the power of any. And as we look here in verse, in verse, or I'm sorry, in chapter 6, he's not speaking concerning the power of God. His desire is to be in submission to God and to live according uh, to, the, to the word of God, to be obedient. And that too should be our desire. But we've got to draw a line in the sand. And he makes the statement here in chapter 6, we remember here, the first 12 verses uh, speak of one controlling substance, one, one thing that has power over many of us, while in the latter half of the chapter, which we've just read, we discover another, another influence that exercises power over many. And both lend themselves to the flesh, both lend themselves or, or stem from this, this pride in our lives, thinking that it's okay and that we can get away with things or, or that certain things won't affect us or influence us like, uh, like they would others. But if you remember from this morning, the first, the, first, uh, the first thing we saw today was concerning the control that unforgiveness ha- uh, has and exercises over God's people. You and I ought to be a forgiving people. And we saw three simple ways in how to be forgiving and have victory in this area of our lives. But tonight, we look here at another, um, another polarizing subject, I suppose. It's something that Paul has already referenced, something we've already preached on as we've uh, navigated our way through this particular book of the Bible And it's the issue of fornication. Fornication. What is fornication? Well, fornication is is sexual sin that takes place outside the bonds of marriage. Remember, the Bible says, look with me if you would please, in, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 13, we notice the promise that God gives concerning marriage. In Hebrews chapter 13, in verse number 4, the Bible says this, Marriage is honorable in all. Now marriage, as defined by God, is only between one man and one woman. That that is marriage. They exercise, uh, they enter into a covenant between themselves, which is a great picture of Jesus Christ in the church. Uh, True marriage does not happen between men or between women. Remember, from the, the Bible says, so God created man in his image, in his likeness. It breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then he wed them together there in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus, referring back to this act in creation, he says, what God has therefore joined together, let not man put asunder. We, we understand here what this marriage is. And God says, marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled. But notice, he says, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I, I want to be careful tonight. I know we've got young ears in the congregation this evening, but we must come to the realization that that we mustn't allow ourselves to be controlled by these selfish, sinful desires of fornication. We live in a generation of people who unfortunately have yielded the control of their lives to the pursuits of their flesh. One of the most polarizing selfish pursuits is that of fornication, which is growing more prominent due to the availability and accessibility of pornography. It's, uh, recent uh, statistics indicate that the pornography industry generates $12 billion of revenue each year, which is larger than the combined annual revenue of the television networks ABC, CBS, and NBC. It's incredible, isn't it? A recent study also indicates that the average age of one's first exposure to pornography is just over 13. 
13 years of age. With the youngest exposure being beginning at 5, and the latest exposure being around the age of 26. That's a, that's a big swath, isn't it? From 5 years old to 26. You imagine a 5-year-old child being exposed to such things. It's, per, it's perverse. And may I tell you, the devil is after our children. With all that money, all that accessibility, they are, they are working very, very hard to make that initial contact with, the, with an individual. Knowing that if they, can, if, they can, if they can catch someone in the early years of their life, that they have just made them a lifetime subscriber to their wickedness. We live in a sad day. Studies show that viewing pornography works to rewire one's brain and begins to, to shape their, their life's pursuits. I read a book years ago entitled Pay-Per-View, and it's more than the money you pay every time you view those things. But the viewing of such wicked things works to create an appetite, works to create a craving in the heart and mind of those that are viewing. Much the same as one addicted to drugs. You know, I've working in, with law enforcement, you see or you're exposed to people that, that have addiction. Even in, in you know, serving the Lord in any capacity. You'd be surprised that perhaps even your neighbors are dealing with certain things. And it's not unlikely that, that people you know and you love have unfortunately been exposed to such heinous things. But viewing that, it does something. It triggers something in the mind. And it's almost like an addict looking and seeking and craving that next fix. It's controlled by it. We live in a society where immorality is everywhere. They're, they're pushing it on children from an early age, trying to, to sell, sell them things by appealing to their carnality, to appealing to their flesh. And sadly, many Christian people are still held sway in the bonds of fornication. Know this, that you don't have to commit the physical act to sin in this area of your life. The Bible warns us saying that if, if a man looks upon a woman and lusts after her in his heart, he's already committed the act. But we must be very, very careful. But I'm here to tell you tonight that there's hope. We see and, and our hearts break and, and, and we, it's hard to speak about these things. But that's not God's plan for your life. God's plan for His children is not to be involved in things of this nature. Remember, the Lord wants us to know how to possess our vessels in sanctification and in honor. If you look down in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see, we see God's desire, the instruction that He provides us he says, for we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Won't you look back with me, if you would, please. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see here at the end of the chapter, in verse, verse 23, there's a statement that I encourage you to take note of several weeks ago. 
which perhaps is all-encompassing of the Christian life, if we don't, may I tell you, if you don't get anything out of the message tonight, please get this. Please get this. The Bible says in verse 23, you are Christ. You're not your own. We like to think that we're our own people, that we can make our own decisions, but that's not the case. You and I, we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And we're not to let anything else have, have power over us. But we're to submit ourselves to the power and authority of God and allow the Lord to help us become the people He has saved us to be. Christian, may the Lord encourage us tonight. How can, how can one be delivered? How can one obtain victory over the power of fornication? There are three very simple lessons I'd like for you to notice tonight as we study here back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The first lesson is found in verse 13. I want you to write these things down. I know they'll help you. In verse 13, we learn the lesson that we are to live according to God's purpose. We are to live according to God's purpose. Well, what then is God's purpose? The Bible says in verse uh, in verse number 13, it says, Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. In other words, you know, we think, uh, you know, we eat. How many of you ate lunch today or had consumed some type of sustenance at some point today? I got up this morning, and my wife is a wonderful person. She had cinnamon rolls ready for me to consume like a piranha. You know, we eat those cinnamon rolls. Where do they go? They go to the belly. Meats for the belly, belly for meats. You know, God gave us a stomach. He gave us intestines. He gave us all of our entrails so that we can digest and process food. That's why, that's what those are for. But God says he's going to destroy both it and them. But then he makes the statement here. I want you to look. He says, in verse 13, he says, Now the body is not for fornication. The Mark that statement in your Bible. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. Your body. How many of you, if you have a body tonight, raise your hand. Just making sure we're all on the same page. What is your body for? Your body is not to be used to satisfy your carnality, but rather to be used for God's glory. He says, now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. It's important that we don't forget the purpose that God has given to us. You and I are created for more and for better. There's a better way to live, Christian. And it's not by, by yielding ourselves to the power of our flesh, but to the power of God. I want you to look with me, please, in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, in chapter number 12. You and I... We're created for something more. We're created for something better. And may I tell you that there's nothing that this world's system offers you that will suffice. Even Moses refused to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You realize that sin only the pleasure of sin only lasts for a season, but there is an eternal reward for God's children as they faithfully live for Him. The Lord is better. Living our lives for Christ is best. You are the Lord's. You're created for Him. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, notice the end of the book. The final two verses of this particular book. In verse number 13, the Bible says this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So, the book of Ecclesiastes is a book regarding life. 
what is, what is life about? Isn't that, that's like a great question, isn't it? There's phil- philosophers and, uh, that, have, that have worked ages and ages and ages to answer the question concerning life. And in just one short sentence, God's going to answer, He's going to tell you what the meaning of life is. The conclusion of the whole matter. What is life about? Do you want to know how you can have a fulfilled life? A blessed life? A life that is, that is free from, uh, from heartache and uh, free from regret and hurt and despair? It's not always easy. Understand that. Man is a few days and full of trouble. All that will live righteously in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Look there in verse 13. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. That's your job. That's my job. This is the purpose for which you and I have been created. To live for God, to obey Him, and to serve Him. To fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Friends, there's a better way to live And it's by following the purpose that God has set before us to honor and glorify Him with our lives. Won't you look with me, please, in the book of Revelation? In Revelation chapter number four, the last book of your Bible, Revelation chapter four, there's a scene in heaven, and uh, there's the elders are gathered around the throne, and and there's there's much, much ado taking place. But in verse number 11 of Revelation chapter 4, the Bible says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord. I want you to mark that statement in your Bible. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Uh, There are many things that vie for our attention in life. Um, The world wants us to live for it. You know, uh, the world wants us to live for our hobbies. Uh, The world wants us to live for what is enjoyable. Uh, The world wants us to live for this, that, and the other thing. But none of those are worthy. None of those are worthy. But thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy, O Lord. He is the only one worthy of your life. So don't live for anything or anyone less than the Lord. The Bible says this, to receive glory and honor and power... For thou hast created all things. Who created you? God created you. The Bible says that the Lord, that God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. God created you. And with his creative work, he's given you a purpose. Why did he create you and me? The Bible says, and for thy pleasure, they are and were created. You and I are created for God's pleasure. We're to fear him and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You are not created to consume. You are not created uh, to, to get and to gain. You and I are created for God's glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, the Bible says, for, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Friends, tonight, very simply, live according to God's purpose. Your body, what you occupy, is for the Lord. And He wants you to live your life for Him. That is His purpose. What's the second lesson we learned tonight? Not only are we to live according to God's purpose, but we're to live according to God's promise. Aren't you thankful that God has given you and me a promise? Look back in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, and in verse number 14, we read, we read a wonderful promise. The Bible says in verse 14, And God hath both raised up the Lord. It's true, He did. I mean, I wasn't there, but I've been where He was, and He's not there. <laughs> he's, been, he's risen from the dead. As he said, there was eyewitness testimony of these things. He says, and 
It says, and God hath both raised up the Lord, but notice what else? And will also raise up us by his own power. What does this mean? It means that there is a promise of eternity. This life is not all there is. The carnal man lives only for this life. That's why he's ruled, as we see in chapter 6 here, by unforgiveness. That's why he's ruled by, by fornication. These, these fleshly appetites, these, these acts of pride in his life. But we're not to live for these things. We're to live for his promise. You and I are to live for eternity. Live for eternity. You see, our lives are short. The, in the New Testament book of James, look, look there with me if you would please. In James chapter number 4, we read of life's brevity. Life is short. I turned around the other day and my son is tall, now taller than my wife. Like, where did that, when did that, how did that happen? You know, time flies. Life doesn't slow down, does it? Sometimes the days might seem long, but the years just fly by. Life is short. Look what the Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 13. He says here, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. How many of you have ever made plans? Well, I mean, we make plans. How many of you are crazy like me and have developed a five-year plan? All right, anybody? Okay, I guess I'm just a weird one. You know, but we have our whole lives planned out. How many of you younger people tonight have your lives planned out? You've, you know what you want to do. You know, hey, I, I know I, I want to work this long, I want to retire at this age, and then I want to do this for the rest of my life, right? Hey, there's one. But we have plans, don't we? I had plans. But I surrendered those plans to the Lord, and he gave me better plans. But the Bible says this, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. You know what? Those five-year plans, those plans for our life would be very, very easy if we knew what tomorrow held. But we don't. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what will happen a minute from now. You're probably scared to know what I'm going to say a minute from now. <laughs> but we don't know. We don't know what will happen a minute from now, a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, a decade from now, a century from now. We have, we have things in store that we'd like to do. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The Bible says we know not what shall be on the morrow. For, he says, for what is your life? Man, what, what is your life? The Bible says, it is even a vapor that appeareth for a, sh for a little time and then vanisheth away. Our life is short. I hope that's not distracting, or I'm sorry, discouraging. Don't lose heart, don't lose hope. Life is short. Do you know, we are living, we are to live in light of eternity. And as we live in light of eternity, we realize how brief our life is. How long are you and I going to live? We don't know. I want you to look with me, though, in, in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 90, Moses here, he, he tells us, he gives us an estimation of man's life. And in Psalm 90, in verse number 10, the Bible says the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. 
Three score years and ten, seventy years. If by reason of strength they be longer, four score. Strength, labor, sorrow. <laughs> Sign me up for that, right? Soon cut off, we fly away. 70 years. So let's say 70 years, that's the average lifespan of a human being. How does 70 years register on the timeline of eternity? It doesn't. We live relative to time. 70 years to us seems like a very, very long time. But it's not. It's very short. Life is a vapor. Appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. Three score years and ten. What, is, what does Moses say? What does God say in Psalm 90 and verse 12? Look down there in verse 12. The Bible says, so teach us to number our days. That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that, that God has given me to live now, I don't want to live distracted by the cares of this life. I'm here for a reason, that's to glorify God. I have a little time to do it. You know why? Because I'm looking forward to eternity. I believe if we, took our, if we took our eyes off of this world and cast them heavenward, our priorities would be completely realigned, wouldn't they? The things that we give ourselves to, we would no longer give ourselves to. The things we have neglected, I believe we would no longer neglect and place as priority. I believe as we as we take a glance up to heaven, that the Lord would help us realign our, His purpose for our lives with the promise of eternity. And that in all things, He would have preeminence. I want you to look, please, in the book of Ephesians, back to Ephesians chapter number 4. And listen to the advice God gives us, beginning in verse number 14, Ephesians 4, it says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. It's been said that only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Don't you listen to the words of Christ? Won't you look in, in Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 13? The Lord gives us instruction concerning this life. He says in verse 13, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> I want what's coming to me, Lord. You better take care of my brother. You know, kind of foolish, isn't it? You know, you know what I've witnessed in my life that oftentimes death, the death of a loved one brings about a lot of greedy people. You know, they come about from everywhere. Lord, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, verse 14, Luke chapter 12, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That is counterculture, isn't it? 
You know, how do, how do we gauge success in life? By the size of our house, the number of cars in the driveway, uh, the amount of money in your, uh, in your bank account, in your retirement, the types of vacations you go on, the, the, the brands of clothes that you wear. But may I tell you, that is not what life is about. We try to keep up with the Joneses, and as a result, our flesh takes over and it controls us. And we pursue earthly things rather than eternal things. And the Bible goes on to say, For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will put down my barns and build greater, and there will I... Bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. What does God say? He says, We're foolish. He says, This night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth not up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Church family, we need to live according to God's promise, which is eternity. Live for eternity. Be rich toward God. Don't allow the flesh to have power over you. Don't allow the, the cares of this life to have power over you. Don't allow fornication to have power over you. Live for God's purpose. Live for God's promise. But notice finally tonight, as we look back in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you and I are to live a life of purity. Live a life of purity. Live a life of purity. When is, is it too late? No. It's never too late. Live purely. Protect your purity. Protect the purity of your children, of your grandchildren, of your nieces, your nephews. Protect the purity of your spouse. Protect your purity. Look what God says in verse 15. He says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Wow. So what is, what is he saying? That my body is not my body, it is Christ's body. My body is, is the member of Christ. He says, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? Well, God forbid... What, know ye not that, you're, uh, that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. In verse 18, mark the statement. We, we referred to this, was it last Sunday? These two words, flee fornication. Run from it like you're being chased by a ravenous lion. Run from it like your life depends upon it. Flee fornication. The Bible says, Every sin that a man doeth without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Every time, every time you look on that, you engage in that, you're sinning, against your own self. And you're sinning against Christ. It's His body, but you're sinning against what God has given you. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. My wife and I, we had been married, let's see here, about six years, maybe it was, when we moved here. Is that right? Is that, the, is that proper math? We're five years? Yeah. I don't know. We moved here in 2013, so seven years. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> Trying to figure out the ages of my children and then add to, you know, but... For seven years, we were, man, we, were, we looked forward to the day where we could buy our first house. You know, we, were, we had spent so much money renting apartments and renting places to live. And it's just like, man, I just feel like we're throwing our money away. And finally, the Lord allowed us to purchase our very own home. It's our property. God gave it to us. It doesn't belong to you. And I would be very upset if anyone came into my home and vandalized my house. I'd be upset. And you would be dead. I'm just kidding. Some 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, God the Son, the second person of the Godhead, came to this earth, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. was killed, hanged upon a cross. After he had given up the ghost, after he died, after he cried, it is finished, and gave up the ghost, they took his body down from the cross. And they placed it in a borrowed tomb, which was owned by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And for three days, three nights, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ lay lifelessly in that tomb. But on that third morning, those who loved Christ went to visit the place where, he lay, where they lay his body. Upon arriving, they found that he was not there. He had risen from the dead, as he had said. He's alive forevermore. The Bible tells us that Christ has ascended back to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He purchased our salvation. And at the moment of salvation, when you ask the Lord to forgive your sin and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you are born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And at that moment, something indescribable happened. The God of all creation, the one true and living God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, came to live within your heart. Your body is now the house of God. Your body is now the temple of God. 
you have been bought with a price. What was that price? It was the price of Jesus' life. It was His blood that He had shed on your behalf. He bought you. You are no longer yours. You're His. And what the Lord desires is that His children, that His people, that that His possession would live a holy life. A life of purity. Not a life driven and consumed by fulfilling the lust of the flesh and of the mind. Church, what the Lord is looking for is a holy people. He wants us to live right. He wants us to be right and to abstain from these things. Why don't you look with me quickly? The book of 1 Thessalonians, please, as we close tonight. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, in verse number 3. The Bible says, for this is the will of God. Isn't that a powerful statement in and of itself? For this is the will of God. Even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also have forewarned you of and testified. In verse 7, the Bible says this, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Friends, we need to pursue purity. Nothing Perhaps nothing will hinder God's work in your life more than the sins of fornication. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Will you live according to God's purpose? Will you live according to God's promise, will you live a life of purity? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed,